This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, quick quiz. What is my favorite homestead animal? If you've been listening to the Homesteady podcast for a long time, then you probably could guess this one. Maybe you're thinking pigs? Pigs would be the right answer. Maybe you were thinking cows, and right now, this mini jersey that we have, it's awesome. I love it. Perhaps it was chickens that crossed your mind? That's okay. I like chickens. Okay, the point is that maybe you would have guessed what my favorite animal is. But now, let's go to my least favorite homestead animal. Because if you listen to more than two episodes of this podcast, yeah, you're going to know what my least favorite animal is. Did you guess? Okay, good. Goats. You're right. For a long time, I have been a well-established hater on the goat. But in this episode of the show, we're going to throw that all out the window. We're going to talk about a goat that solved not just one person's problem, but an entire country's. Cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteady. The world that we live in is a crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life, we can become more self-sufficient, we can get more connected with the planet around us, and we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up, it's time for another episode of Homesteading. When I think back to six years old, I think about playing with Legos and Star Wars figurines. When Daniel thinks back to six, he thinks about the loss of his mom. She died in a car accident. It was her own fault. She was uh, under the influence of alcohol when it happened. And um... it's not the only reason that he became a state trooper, but he says it might have had something to do with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I know I'm not going to go out there and save the world, and that's not my goal. But 
it was just a very helpless feeling as a kid and I know what I went through and I just maybe in a small way want to try to keep others prevent somebody from going through that or or be able to to help when they do Throughout our life, we're thrown into circumstances that can make us feel helpless. For some of us, these experiences can wreck us. Others strive to push ourselves so that we never feel that way again. And Daniel took it even a step further. He wanted to help others avoid this. That's partially what drove him to become a police officer. This is Dan Arms, by the way, from the Arms Family Homestead. It's a very popular YouTube channel that you should go and subscribe to right now. On his channel, Dan is sharing his homesteading journey, teaching about gardening and livestock and self-sufficiency. And this is something that you can follow all the way back in Daniel's life to his childhood. He was raised on a homestead. His dad? Yeah, so growing up, uh, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad always had a small cattle herd. He probably anywhere from 10 to 20 head of cows. Not only did Daniel learn what it was like to run a farm, but he enjoyed time in the outdoors. Big time into hunting and fishing, and that was kind of my life's passion. This homesteader's life, it's one that's empowering. It shows you what you're capable of. That first time you handle a birth on your farm, or the first time you're successful in the deer woods, it's empowering. And it pushed Daniel from being a young, helpless six-year-old into being a confident man. He became a police officer. He started a family, and he took over the family farm. This is the house I grew up in, the land I grew up on. It's mostly timber. We used to run a few cows, and that's kind of what got us started. I took over a little cow herd after my dad passed away, and uh, we just don't have enough grass. And I tried for several years in the cattle business. It was it was costing me more money than it was worth because we were buying so much hay and feed. Um, we ended up just selling the cows and kind of moving in another direction a few years later. Daniel needed a break from the failing homestead business that he had tried at, but eventually he felt that call to get back to the land and he started with a garden. Gardening for me is more of a stress reliever uh, with my job, the way would work in law enforcement. You come home at the end of the day and you can't, can't quantify your your work you can't see results at the end of the day like a home builder goes to work and says here's what I accomplished today or somebody that you know even mows grass they can see their results in law enforcement there's just no results to see and it's a stressful job well gardening kind of became a, a hobby and I noticed it was a big stress reliever I could come home and, and put my focus into that and it kind of expanded just like anything else. It's like with chickens, most people start with three or four and they end up with 10 or 15. Uh, my garden every year just kept growing and growing. Daniel had already tried and failed at making any kind of money raising cattle. And so he had walked away for a good amount of time from the whole homestead business idea. That is until he got back to it with gardening. As the garden grew, so did his ideas for a homestead. And the next thing that happened took him in a completely different direction. Uh, my garden every year just kept growing and growing. 
bigger and bigger. And of course I was posting pictures to Facebook and all that. Cause I was proud of what I was doing and people started commenting saying, Hey, I'd like to buy a bunch of tomatoes or I want to buy, you know, cucumbers. This is where the wheels start turning. You've probably had this experience before. You put a seed in the ground. The sun shines on that seed. Up sprouts a plant. And then you start to see one, two, three fruits on that plant. You do it again. Put a seed in the ground. Sun shines. Up it comes. One, two, three, four, five fruits. And you're thinking, boy, I have more than I need. And at the same time, your friends and family are like, hey, can we get some of that? And in that very moment, a homestead entrepreneur gets his wings. It's not long into running a homestead business that the problems start to surface. Daniel tried to run a vegetable CSA, and right away it began to conflict with his life in law enforcement. I had a good response from people. My issue that I ran into is my schedule rotates, and it's never the same. So it was really difficult, you know, when you've got tomatoes that need to be picked today, but my work schedule doesn't allow for it for two or three days. I ran into some some problems there as far as uh, I had the demand. I just didn't have the time to devote to it as far as a full-time or even a part-time business, really. One of the biggest challenges facing people who are either A, trying to start a side hustle, or B, run one that's profitable, is this. Balancing the time needed with the time available. I'm going to have 10 pounds of tomatoes this week. Who wants them? And somebody would say, yes, I want them, I want them. So I'd go pick them and say, I'd give them a call and say, hey, I've got your tomatoes ready. And they'd say, well, I really can't come out and get them today. Can you can you just bring them by the office in a couple of days? <sighs> just logistics, kids' activities and all that. It, it just wasn't going to work out. So I, I kind of phased that out. I, I just couldn't pursue it. Ugh, logistics every time. So I know what you're thinking. Strike one, cattle. Strike two, vegetables. This guy's on strike three. And then he's out, right? Well, that's when we bring in, and I hate to say this, Daniel's savior. Goats. I know, right? Somebody asked my wife if she was interested in getting a baby bottle fed goats that were like a week old. Their, their mama had not taken them, and somebody was bottle feeding these two little twins. Okay, so take this as the official warning from Homesteady. Do not go see baby goats that are being bottle-fed. Because if you do, well, here's what's going to happen. First off, you're going to be like, What is it? Mogwai. What's he doing? Singing. He does that sometimes. 
Seeing that cute furry thing with those big ears and those big doe eyes, you're gonna be like, I gotta have him, he's incredible. Say what I'll do, I'll give you a hundred dollars for him. But then those owner people, they're all like, I'm sorry, Mogwai not for sale. I'll give you $200. That's $200. With Mokwai comes much responsibility. I cannot sell him at any price. But we all know how this ends, right? I've warned you many times. You've listened to plenty of episodes of this podcast to know. But guess what? You go out back and the kid's like, hey. Forget what he said. He's crazy. We need the money. Now, come on. You want it or not? I want it. And if you find yourself in this predicament, well, I have three rules for you. The first rule is obvious. I know they're cute. I know they have fuzzy ears and you just want to, but don't get it. Now, the second rule for inevitably when you break rule number one, we all know that's what's going to happen, is don't get any more. Don't allow them to multiply. And the third rule for all of you out there who are trying to figure out what movie we're listening to and just can't put your finger on it, well... Here's the third rule. No matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never, never feed him after midnight. You got it? Sure, kid, whatever you say. Hey, listen, thanks, and have a Merry Christmas. If you break rule number one, eventually we all know you're going to break rule number two and rule number three. And then, despite all my warnings, that one cute little furry animal. One, two, three, four, five million. Now can I have one? And now your homestead is covered in gremlins. Gremlins. I was talking about gremlins. You thought I was talking about goats? Goats and gremlins are nothing alike. I mean, yeah, okay, when they're little, they're both really cute and furry, and they have those big cute eyes and floppy ears, and you just want to take them home. But I mean, goats don't grow up to be these horrible creatures that try to destroy everything and everyone you love. Huh. Wait, now that you mention it. They change. Rafe. Yes! They become clever, mischievous, What's going on here? and dangerous. Little monsters. Right. Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know, but in a few hours, you're going to have a major disaster on your hands. Gremlins, they'll be expecting you. Oh, man. No, you know what? That sounds exactly like goats. In just a minute, we're going to learn how Daniel finally found his moneymaker on the farm, goats. And we're going to find out 
whether or not they're actually making him a profitable homestead. So stay tuned for that part of this episode. Uh, But before we get to that, just a quick break from the show. Next time you're going to go shopping on Amazon. Before you go to Amazon, go to amsteady.com. That's A-M like Amazon and steady like homesteady.com. You'll instantly be forwarded to Amazon's website. But in that millisecond that you're forwarded there, Amazon will log the fact that we sent you there and we will receive an affiliate bonus should you buy something on Amazon. It costs you nothing extra, not a penny, but a small amount of what you spend will be given to us so we can continue to produce the show that you love at no extra cost to you. Just head on over to amsteady.com, buy whatever you were planning on buying anyway, and we will make a little bit of money, which helps us keep the show going. Every little penny helps. So next time you go shopping on Amazon, remember, am, like Amazon, steady, like homesteady.com. Daniel, like many of us, struck out the first few times he tried to make some money off his homestead. Strike one, the beef cattle. He just had to pay too much to feed them. Strike two was the garden. It didn't work along with his lifestyle. But then he found goats. Literally, she brings home two goats in a diaper box. I would say those two little bottled baby goats were like a gateway drug. (laughs) (laughs) And... Our kids loved them. Kind of took off a little bit. We started getting more bottle babies just because that's what the kids enjoyed. And before we knew it, we had six or eight goats. One, two, three, four, five million. The more it kind of progressed, we were like, well, if we're going to do this, we might as well get something that's a little better quality. So we're going to have babies to sell. We might as well have ones that are worth a little bit more. So then we got into boar goats. Boar goats are the... Uh, what most people would know as a show goat for FFA and 4-H. So they're the white goats with the red head. They're a meat goat. Boar goats come from South Africa. They're originally believed to be a mix between European goats that came along with Dutch farmers and bred along with the indigenous goats of South Africa. Over the years, this breed was developed to turn a very harsh living condition, the savannas of Africa, into usable land to take that brush and turn it into meat. And they're good as far as growing meat goes. They they were just kind of high maintenance. They're not the best mothers. They're they're meat for as far as a meat goat, they're by far the most valuable, but they're pretty labor intensive, more maintenance, more they require you know more worming and more medication than and hooves trimmed and things like that. Daniel had finally found an animal that he enjoyed raising, but he needed a version of it that was a little bit better. And that's when he stumbled across. Did some research and found Kiko goats. Kiko goats. Kikos are a meat goat that that were started in, uh, I think they were a feral goat in New Zealand. It was, New Zealand. It was actually in the 1980s. The same decade as the first Nintendo gaming system came out. I say Nintendo like a dad now. Nintendo gaming system. The Wonder Years was playing on television. I was crapping in diapers. And somewhere thousands of miles away, there were people working really hard 
to create these cute little creatures. And at the same time gremlins were being made, Kiko goats were also being made. Well, it's a, it's a Maori word, you know, the Maori, the indigenous people in this country. It's a Maori word for meat. This is Garrick Batten. He and his wife are the people responsible for the creation of the Kiko goat breed. This is really amazing. How often do you get to speak to the person behind a particular breed? Many of the breeds that we work with today go back hundreds of years. But the Kiko, it only goes back a few decades. What started in the late 70s and then really was heavily being worked on throughout the 80s resulted in a goat that now you or I can go out and purchase, a Kiko goat. You can tell by Garrick's accent, he's not from around here. And when I say here, I mean where I live in the United States. To hear the story of the Kiko goat, we have to travel far, far away. Most people in the United States don't actually understand New Zealand or what it's about or anything. In fact, quite a lot of people don't even know where it is. For those of you who don't know where New Zealand is, let's take a flight together. Okay, we hop in a cab and we head down to LaGuardia Airport in New York. We're going to hop on a plane, take off and fly us to San Francisco. We're gonna have a little bit of a layover. Hopefully there's a good spot to grab a bite to eat because the next flight is a long one. We'll be flying southwest out of San Francisco, past Hawaii, over Tahiti, and before we make it as far as Australia, we'll be stopping at the beautiful, sunny island country of New Zealand. It's February as I record this podcast. If we were to take this flight together today, we would arrive in Auckland, New Zealand, step off the plane, and instantly be enjoying the 21-degree weather. That's Celsius. Yeah, no, it's, it's like 70 degrees there, guys. It's beautiful. And that's the thing about New Zealand. The weather is gorgeous for most of the year. The grass grows basically for 10 months plus a year if it, if it rains. So what do you do when you live in an island country where the grass can grow 10 months out of the year? You farm. But agriculture has been the, the backbone of this country since it was first settled and it's still the major. It produces about 60% of our export income, so it's pretty important. Incredible. And there's only, you know, and there's only five, less than 5 million people. I mean, we produce enough food to feed 10 times the population. Garrick was filling me in on New Zealand because, like he said... Most people in the United States don't actually understand New Zealand or... Garrick didn't expect us to know much about New Zealand. But maybe Garrick didn't expect that I was such a big fan of Lord of the Rings. Now, don't worry. I read the books before the movies. But I'm not going to lie. I was in high school when they started releasing them, and I loved them. The epic battles, the different languages, the precious, taters. What's taters, Brussels? I was a full-on Lord of the Rings nerd. And so as they were filming the movies, I became a full-on Lord of the Rings movie nerd. And that's when I first learned about New Zealand. If you've seen those movies, then you have seen New Zealand. Because that's where they filmed the entire three movies. 
And so now you know what kind of land the farmers of New Zealand are working with. Of course you have your shire. Green, flat, beautiful. A great place to own a farm, some big tractors, and work the land. But most of New Zealand, well, it's not the Shire. Most of New Zealand is much more... It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do An impossible labyrinth of razor-sharp rocks. And after that, it gets even better. Festering, stinking marshland as far as the eye can see. Okay, so maybe it's not that bad. But the New Zealand farmers do face a serious challenge. Yes, that it's basically a mountainous country and in geological terms, and only 8% of it can be cultivated. Because of this uneven terrain that they have to work with, well, one does not simply cultivate their land in traditional ways. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Picture your typical farmer. He owns a couple hundred acres, and he's got nice big tractors where he can go and plant rows and rows of crops. Well, now throw that tractor on this mountainous country? Well, it doesn't matter if your tractor's got four-wheel drive. You shall not pass! How does a smart farmer, with 10 months of growing season, but land that cannot be cultivated, actually make profit? It doesn't take a wizard. Instead, it took some livestock. So that means that, that to produce food has to be coming from grazed pastures. A whole economy is based on grazing animals uh, and turning that, the sunshine and the, and the climate into plants which animals can eat and then uh, produce products which can be sold. So the aspiring farmers of Middle Earth knew they couldn't rely on just crops. It meant bringing animals onto the farm. You'd have to get sheep, some cattle, maybe some deer, and, yep, the one livestock to rule them all, goats. No! I know, I'm always warning you, don't get goats. But Garrick, he saw goats as an answer to lots of the challenges that were facing the farmers in New Zealand. First off, that beautiful weather that grows grass 10 months out of the year, it grows something else too. It also grows weeds extraordinarily well and, and we have some native plants here. Here they grow rampantly. So we have a real problem on non-cultivatable country where you can't mechanically control these weeds and try to keep them from invading the pastures. And whilst you can control them with chemicals, that's expensive. Uh, in some cases, it's not that easy, given the contour and the weather for applying the chemicals. And of course, Garrick was looking for a solution to this weed problem. He needed something that could traverse this rocky, hilly terrain and that wouldn't cost the farmers any extra money, ideally something that could earn them money. I, I spent some time as the agricultural councillor at the High Commission and New Zealand High Commission in London. And as part of that job, we used to go to a lot of international meetings. 
And when you sit at an international meeting, you sit alphabetically. And next to New Zealand was quite often Nigeria. And there's a lot of downtime in international meetings, so you talk to the people around you. And I found out that the Nigerian gentleman next to me, from him, there were 14 million goats in Nigeria, and I didn't know that. I wasn't really aware of goats in New Zealand other than feral goats, because one of the jobs that I had as a shepherd working on uh, on hill stations was to go and shoot goats for dog food for the following week. As Garrick learns more about the goats, a light bulb goes off. Instead of shooting them and using them for dog food, maybe these goats that were all over the island of New Zealand could help with this weed problem. I knew there were lots of feral goats running around in New Zealand in the bush, but nobody was really farming them uh, in, in in a controlled sense. Garrick looked at this possible solution harder. And that's where he learned that in addition to weed control, goats were also really good for the health of the existing pasture land. You see, goats will eat weeds and they'll eat the higher browse, but they don't like to get really close to the ground. Because of goats grazing patterns, where they graze from the top down, uh, they don't get it down into the clover layer. The net result of goat grazing is that it enhances the clover content and that enhances the feed quality and also the nitrogen content. So, Clover pulls nitrogen out of the air and puts it back into the soil. It essentially does the job that fertilizer does, but without costing a farmer any money. And so if you fill your field with goats who leave clover but eat the weeds, well, year after year, your pastures will improve without any added expense of fertilizer. best part of all this is that while goats are taking care of your weeds and helping to add nitrogen to your pastures, they're also growing meat. Meat, but meat in New Zealand, goat meat in New Zealand terms is, is an end product from those two other activities. It's not an end product in itself for two reasons. Uh, one is those other two uh, benefits are, are highly significant. The problem is that you can't put dollar values on them easily uh, in, in your books of account. They they flow through indirectly. So from a farmer's point of view, uh, farmers, as we know, like to see dollars at the end of the deal. And so if they can see a return from meat in dollar terms, then that looms quite large in their thinking. So Garrick now had three great reasons to start working on developing a good breed of goat. He wasn't creating a meat goat. He was creating a goat that worked with the farmers in New Zealand, caring for weeds, improving the pastures, and providing meat to sell at the end of the day. The focus was not, however, on solely creating a meat animal. They weren't selling a goat to be broken down into pieces and sold at a local deli. They were selling goats for export, and that meant the meat requirement was very different from what maybe you or I might be breeding into, say, a pig that we would sell whole or half. The meat that we have producing up until the last two or three years um, has been basically for export. All goat meat was exported. Parameters for that export market were 40 to 80 
pound uh, live weight goats um, without any specifications for age, uh, sex, um, condition. All it was, it was a weight thing. So the price was basically the same between 40 pounds and 80 pounds live weight. Garrick knew what he wanted, and now it was time to start work on creating this breed, the Kiko goat. How did you get the uh, the original herd that you bred from? Did you just trap wild goats? Yeah, the the, the, the wild goats in the country descended back from you know, from the early 1800s when there were New Zealand. The first European settlers in New Zealand were sealers and whalers who were based around the coasts. And they had milking goats with them, and as I said, they couldn't control them, so they escaped into the bush. It doesn't matter how far back you go into history. From time immemorial, goats have been escaping. Early settlers, early European settlers came to New Zealand, um, had milking goats with them, and some of those escaped. Um, Wild goats in the country were a whole mixture of of various breeds of you know, a real mixture, all sorts of things, all mixed up. And because, as I said, half the country is, is bush and forest, and there was even more back in those days, the goats just had ample scope to go wherever they liked, and they built up and developed rapidly. So, and there's still probably, I don't know, nobody really knows, but there could be two or 300,000 goats still running around in the country. So what we did was screen goats, the wild goats that we could, had access to, which obviously wasn't the whole country, but we figured we probably went through about 10,000 goats in the end, just trying to pick out likely-looking goats um, that that weren't limping and had the right sort of shape about them and uh, that didn't have a, a bad temperament, because some of them certainly had a bad temperament. Yeah, and so we just ended up with goats that we... Like, like the look of, basically, and, uh, and went from there. How, how exactly did you trap them? Were they easy to catch, or...? Oh, you can mess them with dogs, and, you know, and drive them into yards. We've still got guys doing that now. Uh, they, they capture 100, 150,000 goats a year um, out of the margins of the bush. They, they, they come out of the bush onto uh, farmland margins and a man with a good set of dogs can, can gather them up. And Once they're off their home range, they're reasonably easy to control. On their home range, they know all the holes and all the back ways to, to escape. But once they're off their home range, they're reasonably easy to, to control and, and drive into a, into a yard. Eventually... They had 10,000 goats that they liked the look of, and they took from that pool and selectively bred for the traits they needed in this hardy, healthy, hill country goat. The whole, the whole development of, of Kigo goats was based on population genetics. And population genetics is about arithmetic. It's not about parents. And so uh, it recognizes that that in a population there are good animals and bad animals, and the key to, to it is finding the good animals and breeding from them. So you need, need relatively large numbers to, to get a genetic spread big enough to be able to identify the superior animals to, to, breed, to select and breed from. Having got a big enough herd to work with and then having identified uh, the superior animals in that herd based on recording, measurement and, and recording, 
assessment under the same, you know, under under a common environment, then you, you can then apply selective pressures, and the more factors you select for, the slower the progress you make. So if you can reduce that to just a few factors, you can make more rapid progress. Instead of worrying about creating the perfect goat, Garrick focused on the perfect goat for the needs of the farmers in New Zealand. And that meant each goat needed... Uh, sound feet, so they didn't need to be trimmed or foot-bathed or looked after. The goats could walk everywhere, every day, without limping. Um, some resistance to internal parasites, because the climate we have here, which grows good pastures, also grows good internal parasites. So uh, developing some tolerance to those was important. Having the milking equipment uh, to to feed the kids that we were trying to produce um, was was obviously important, and and kidding reproductive rate was, was critical. As I said, the more the more kids you can produce, the better off you're going to be. And and temperament, because you need to have animals which didn't want to escape and which were amenable to looking after their kids and and being compatible with the farming system. So. On top of that, we practiced independent culling, which means that if the goat fails on any one of those factors, it gets culled. Even if it's the best goat in the in the herd for a, for kidding percentage, for instance, if it limps, well, it got culled. And so, over a period of time, we were able to produce a goat which basically um, didn't limp, had tolerance to internal parasites, and produced lots of kids, and ate weeds and grazed pastures. After years and years of work, Garrick, his wife, and the others that he worked with finally had an animal that met their criteria. It was not a meat goat. No, it was like a Swiss army goat, except for it would be a New Zealand army goat. The point is, it had a lot of different purposes. It would be a healthy goat, one that would be able to be low maintenance for the New Zealand farmers in hill country. It would have good, strong feet, could run around. An impossible labyrinth of razor-sharp rocks. I think when it comes down to it, what Garrick worked so hard to create is a really good homestead goat. You see, us homesteaders were not unlike those farmers out in New Zealand. Lots of us have properties that are hard to get value from. Maybe they're not flat. Maybe they're more rocky. Maybe they're more hilly. Festering, stinking marshland as far as the eye can see. Maybe our pastures aren't in great shape. Maybe we need to improve them, much like these New Zealand farmers did, using clover. And at the end of the day, a lot of us don't have a ton of time to spend with our livestock managing them. We want an animal that will be healthy, that will be hardy, care for itself, and when it's all said and done and the season comes to a close, we want to have some meat that we can put in the freezer. And if we've raised it ourselves and we're proud of the product, most of us don't care about the exact muscle conformation. Garrick and his wife created an amazing goat for homesteaders. If you want to learn more about this creature from Middle Earth, and what it could do for your homestead, you can learn a lot about it at Garrick's website. Well, the website's www.caprinxnz.com, and that's got all our contact details on it. The website is a wealth of information. You're going to open it up, you want to be able to sit down with a cup of coffee, 
in a comfortable position to spend time working through the links. These days, Garrick does some consulting for farms using goats, much in the way that he did with his time developing the Kiko breed. If you want to get in contact with him, you can find his information out at his website. Me and Garrick talked at length about the history of the Kiko goats. We talked about their transition to the United States, why some people were unhappy and what might have gone wrong in that transition. And Garrick gave some great advice on what to do when looking to buy yourself some Kiko goats. If you want to hear the rest of this interview, it's in the Homesteady Pioneers Only Library. Instantly download 20 new episodes to your hard drive to then throw on your phone, tablet, wherever you listen to podcasts, and enjoy. Head on over to thisishomesteady.com, click on Shop, and then Pioneers Membership to become a Pioneer today. Well, I hate to say it, but it's time to leave Middle-earth. You, me, Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin. We head down to the Grey Havens. There's Gandalf in his boat. My work is now finished. We have our goodbyes. Here at last, on the shores of the sea, the end of our friendship. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. This part still gets me. Do not say, do not weep. Not all tears are an evil. Keep it together, Oz. Keep it together. I gotta miss this place. Do the goat gremlin bit again. Just do the goat gremlin bit. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Okay. That's better. Little gremlins just uh, bring the mood back. Yeah. All right. Well, we're out of Middle Earth, and we're headed back to the United States, where we're going to find Dan back on his homestead with some Kiko goats. But before we do, I just want to remind you, listening to that whole bit about the Kiko goats, well, it makes them sound pretty amazing. But don't forget, they're still goats, which means they're still mischievous, evil, like the gremlins. And to help you always remember this so that you never make the mistake of going onto Craigslist and finding yourself some Kiko goats or any other kind, we have a brand new t-shirt at thisishomesteady.com. It's the gremlin goat shirt. I love this shirt. Okay, so picture it. On the front of the shirt is this cute little doe-eyed goat looking up at you, just wanting to come home with you. Just like that goat that you're going to go look at that you read about on Craigslist. But behind the goat is a menacing shadow in the shape of a gremlin, reminding you that no matter how cute that goat looks when you first go and see it, they change. How do you know? Just add water. You can get our new t-shirt Head over to thisishomesteady.com, click on the store, and in the drop-down you'll see a clothing section. It'll take you to the Homesteady swag shop, where you can see all our t-shirts, including just our regular Homesteady t-shirts and our abducted shirts, and now the evil goat shirts. There's guy shirts, there's girl shirts, there's even kid versions. Because honestly, I wanted my kids running around in the evil goat shirt. I think it's pretty fantastic. 
Is there someone in your life who loves goats and wants to get more of them? Maybe this is the perfect time for an intervention. Get them the evil goat shirt and help remind them what they're getting themselves into. Okay, we're back in the United States. Let's go back to Dan's homestead and listen to how he actually made thousands of dollars off his Kiko goats. Uh, you know, this time we'd been in goats for several years and, and my property, like I said, is very brushy and everything I had researched on Kikos were, you know, they, their ability to survive on less. The fact that like, I could turn them out and they were a lot more low maintenance and, and they do a great job of helping me maintain the property. So, I mean, they'll eat all the trees. They would prefer to eat tree leaves versus grass any day. So they do a great job of trimming the brush up from the ground up about five feet. They do a, a wonderful job. The way my property's set up, there's not a lot of grass, but there is a lot of brush that needs to be taken care of. So the more I can get those goats clearing land and clearing, you know, briars and weeds, that's the less brush hogging and, and spraying of chemicals that I have to do on, on what pastures I do have. So they really helped there tremendously. Didn't it sound like Dan was just echoing what Garrick spoke of when he talked about what traits he was breeding for? Here we are decades after Garrick spent all his time working, breeding this Kiko goat line. And we hear Dan listing benefits of this breed, and it's exactly what goals Garrick had for them. It's really cool. It's more about my property maintenance, and, and I don't have to put a lot into them. They're more of a browse type animal than a grazer. So sheep or cattle or horses are gonna graze the grass short. And a goat's more like a deer and they just nibble bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So having the goats still allows me to be able to cut hay on my property. So I'll have hay for them in the winter time and then I can sell excess hay. Um, so that kind of levels each other out. So he finally found something he could do on his homestead that A, fit his property perfectly. He could feed these animals off the property he had. He didn't have to buy hay like he did with the beef cattle. And B, it fit his lifestyle. First off, they're, they're, the kids love them. It's, it's a great experience for the kids. They get to, to raise the babies and be around the babies and see that whole natural process. It was practically perfect. The only hard part was that he had all these cute little bottle-fed baby goats that he was letting his kids raise and feed that he then had to go and have butchered. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He found a good workaround for that, too. And the Kiko breed is becoming more and more popular here, so they're getting more and more easy to sell oh. for, for a higher dollar per goat. Because the Kiko breed is getting more and more attention, more people want to buy them to raise on their own homesteads. And that means Dan gets to sell live kids. You know, it sounds like it's a better fit for your family to be sending off animals that are other people's stock as opposed to carcasses. Does that, would you say that? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because yes. then the kids get to be a bit more happier to be involved in this aspect. So Daniel found a business enterprise that matched his lifestyle. And then he took it a step further and made it an official business because by doing that, he was able to save some money that his family would be spending on taxes. 
which is something Accountant Mike definitely gives a big thumbs up to. Things that, that I need just for general property maintenance on this property, having the animals and some income allows me to show that it's a farm business so I can write things like my tractor and tractor implements and parts of our fields and you know things like tools for building fence or maintaining fence. I can write off on my taxes so at the end of the year I get much more of a tax return and I'm not paying in taxes at the end of the year. Love it. Daniel found a great fit for his homestead business. The goats, combined with a little bit of hay on the side, has been able to bring him in steady money. But is he actually profitable? Let's do some Accountant Mike math. I'm pretty fortunate with with most of the year. These goats cost me nothing through late winter, as soon as it starts to green up, all through spring, summer, and into the fall. Um, I, I, I don't really, they don't cost me much of anything. Through all the growing season, the Kikos are able to feed themselves. And then Dan, who now owns a tractor and is able to do hay, well, he feeds them through the winter. And then the years where we bale our, have our hay baled, then we're not buying hay. So in the wintertime, I do put a little bit of feed into them just, just to keep them going healthy and mineral. The point is Dan's expenses are super low. So I don't have to put a lot into them, and that's why the goats work better for me. Now remember, one of the things Garrick bred these goats for was good reproduction, and that's where Dan makes his money. A couple weeks ago, some goats I sold um, to one of my YouTube subscribers. I had talked about it in one of my videos. I was interested in selling some goats, and he called oh, cool. and said, I'm super interested. I think he bought 14 goats that day. Dan asks $100 per weaned goat and $200 for breeding age does. That means Dan has a herd of animals that cost him hardly anything, but are spitting out $100 kids. So it's not like I sold super expensive goats, but I have very little into them mm-hmm. cost-wise. Yeah. And that's why I like the Kikos versus the boars, because the boars were costing me more. They cost a little more to, to keep healthy, and they required more feed. They didn't live off... Uh, off the land as as well so with Kikos I don't I don't put as much into them so some people that have a smaller property or just a few acres would probably have to feed more than I do mm-hmm. annual income gross he predicted is usually around three thousand dollars this year alone I've sold right at three thousand dollars worth of goats it varies from year to year like last year I, I had several baby goats die uh, early on, just like we're either born dead or, or died just right after birth. So my numbers went way down. I didn't have as many as I had hoped to have to sell. We're still evolving. We're still learning. We're trying to figure out what we can do to make a little bit of side income. So it's not necessarily a set number every year, I would say, honestly. Money you put into your homestead, the money you're paying into it, which, as you mentioned, now can be write-offs, right? Versus money that you're getting back in sales. In that very strict definition, are you guys actually profitable? No. <laughs> no, not even close. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> but, but 
it's like like okay so like this like no i'm not profitable but i understand that and i don't really have ambitions of being super profitable from it it just allows me to have to save money at the end of the year the tractor is a valuable tool for my overall property goals but just for the goat herd and you know chickens and gardens that that tractor isn't necessary but it'll buying that tractor allows me to write that off on my taxes so now the next question similar question but a little different would you look at the work and money you put in and then the everything you get back from it and consider your homestead as a whole and that whole experience a profitable one absolutely um because there's more to it than just the monetary side of things in my opinion two things the joy that my little girl got out of the goats when she was little and still does during kidding season especially but when i started gardening and started getting into gardening and i had kids that you could open a can of green beans from the grocery store and cook them and put them on the plate and they'd go oh this is terrible but i could get them involved in planting the seeds and and harvesting those green beans and then we bring them in and can them which is a lot of work because you've got hours of labor going into it but you know two or three or four months later in the winter when we open that jar of home canned green beans put them on the stove and my kids just love them that's a success I don't care how much it costs there's more to it than the monetary side it's a huge success because my kids are learning we can grow our own food we can produce this on our own and not only are we just able to do it but it's better than what you get at the store so we've seen from daniel that no he is not earning enough money from his goat business plus hay and veggies on the side to make his homestead profitable in the strictest accountant Mike sense of the term. But it's obviously an experience that he loves doing with his family. He's getting so many benefits from it that as a whole, he considers it a profitable endeavor for him, his wife, and his kids. And that's really what matters with any homestead business. The most important lesson we can take away from Daniel's story is to find an enterprise that fits your life. Daniel loved gardening, but it wasn't a good fit as a business. Just because you love doing something on your homestead doesn't mean it's the right choice for your future enterprise. Maybe as you continue to scale, someday it will be again. Daniel could continue to scale his goat operation, his hay operation, to the point where maybe he could go full-time like his neighbor and then bring vegetables back as something he could do. But he doesn't really have any plans to do that. And you know, yeah, it, it sounds romantic to go, yeah, I would love to quit my job and live off the land. Well, you know what? My kids enjoy sports and my kids enjoy our trips to the beach and, and that stuff wouldn't be paid for. Yeah. Vacation's <laughs> you <know>? nice, right? <laughs> right. You get in too far in too deep and yeah, you can't even get away from it for a day or two without having someone that can show up and take care of everything. So 
think there's a happy medium. This this lifestyle is more about what makes you happy. I, you know, my goal for these interviews, Daniel, was to find one lesson from each of the people I interviewed and really let it kind of show itself from their story. And what I'm hearing from you, uh, and it seems like the biggest, like the lesson we can give to the listeners you, you know, there were things you love to do, right? There's things we love to do. There are hobbies. There's things you were given. You were given a whole herd of beef, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you could have made the beef work. You could have cleared a bunch of land. But you like hunting, so you didn't do that, right? That was what was better for you. And you love gardening, and you were good at it. But running that business didn't fit your lifestyle. And it sounds like the reason why this goat enterprise is working is because you found an enterprise that actually fit your lifestyle. You could do it. I mean, any homesteader can do all kinds of businesses. There's tons of them out there. But this one, the goats, it sounds like fits your life, your goals with your property. It fits your family nicely. Absolutely, because it's it fits it, you're, you're you're spot on. It fits our our schedule because with my work schedule, rotating shifts and, and days off changing, and our kids' activities, our, our kids are super involved in sports. Um, a lot of people, um, as far as my YouTube channel, say, "Well, how come you don't have milk goats? You've got goats. Why not <laughs> yeah. milk goats?" Well, because my schedule wouldn't allow for. Uh, you know, a daily milking at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. or whatever, because it rotates so much. So the meat goat, you know, makes more sense because I there, there's not a, as much of a time demand. Yeah. At, on a schedule, Absolutely. I can do everything I need to do with them around my schedule, and it works great. I love that. That's a this is a great takeaway. So. Okay, there it is. I'm on the record. Goats can work for some people. People like Garrick Batten, who we want to give a special thanks to for taking the time to do an interview, uh, dealing with the time differences all the way there in Middle Earth. (laughs) If you want to get a hold of Garrick, you can find him at his website, CopernicusNZ.com. If you're not sure how to spell that, just head over to This Is Home Study. We'll have a link to it in the blog post write-up for this episode. And, of course, thanks to Dan from the Arms Family Homestead for sharing his goat numbers and his business model. If you want to follow Dan and everything he's doing, he's doing videos on YouTube. Uh, He does a lot of videos each week. He's a lot of fun to follow. So head over to YouTube and search Arms Family Homestead and tell him hi from Homesteady. If you head on over to Dan's channel and comment on his latest video, maybe remind Dan that goats are really gremlins at heart. Uh, Say something like, hello from a Homesteady listener. Don't forget goats are gremlins or, you know, just mention that you heard it on Homesteady. I'm going to choose one of those comments randomly to win a free month of Homesteady Pioneer membership. So go subscribe to Dan's channel. Leave a comment that lets in one of the latest videos that lets us know you were you heard it on Homesteady, and one of you will get a free Homesteady Pioneer membership. Now, I know a bunch of you are all hopped up and excited because you just got the thumbs up for me to go and get some goats. But no, that's not what happened here. I don't think you should run off and buy a bunch of goats right now. I do think you should run off and buy the new Homesteady Goat Gremlin t-shirt, just so you have a nice reminder to yourself at all times that although they look cute and fuzzy, 
they're evil. So head over to thisishomestudy.com. Up in the menu, you'll see the button for shop, and then you drag down to clothing. That'll take you to the Homestudy swag shop. You just got to go see this shirt. You don't even have to buy it if you don't want to, but it's fantastic. And once you see it, well, you're going to be all like, I got to have him. He's incredible. Say what I'll do. I'll give you $100 for it. If you want to catch links to everything you heard about in this episode, there's a fantastic blog post recap by Alexia the Suburban Escapee. Head over to thisishomestudy.com and scroll down on the front page. You'll find a big picture of a bunch of goats and just click on it and you'll head over to this episode. Homesteady is produced by my wife Kay and myself. I'm Aust and I'm Homesteady and I hope you are too. If you are, go ahead and hashtag all your social media posts, I am Homesteady. And until next time, remember, the road is rocky, make home steady.